Welcome to this week's edition of Coach Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 24. We're going to talk about pitching and how much is too much. So Don, how are you doing this week? We're doing good. Thanks, Tori. I know this is one of those topics that, uh, you know, I, I don't know that there's ever a, a complete full answer, but it's evolving and changing. Right. And, uh, well, I think uh, you know, today think our goal is to, is to raise some questions and, yeah. and just kind of open up some some lines of communication, maybe get people thinking about it a little bit. Because you know, the first qualifier I have to throw out there is that when I was coaching at a couple of different places, when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech, um, and also when I was still coaching at Wisconsin Parkside, that we had pitchers that threw a lot. Uh, maybe were a little bit less knowledgeable, a little bit less uh, informed. Uh, we had a couple of years when Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Graham, now Bonnie Bynum, when she played for me at Tennessee Tech, had you know 350 plus innings in a college season. Well, I think in your defense too, Tori, and it's probably likely at most schools, usually there's an obvious number one, right? right? And you want your number one to be representing and creating an environment where we've got the best chance to win. Right. So, and so, so I think it's it's a, a conversation that uh, applies differently at different levels, and I think it applies in some cases differently to different kids. But my first thought is that I think um, one of the things that I'm seeing more and more of is that because um, less young players are really motivated to pitch, I'm, I'm seeing you know less and less kids that really think of themselves as pitchers, that uh, the number of kids that are really committed to it and really dedicated to it seems to be a little bit smaller than it was once upon a time, or at least a smaller percentage of the, the overall. Yeah, uh, yeah. May, maybe the number of kids is no different, but there were less teams back in the day, so you didn't need as deep of a pool of pitchers to actually have a accommodate. pitching staff and to accommodate different uh, different teams at all the different levels. Yeah. Um, but I saw something two weeks ago when our uh, 12 and under team played, had a really good weekend, and the team that played is going to remain nameless, but I saw an 11-year-old pitcher, maybe 12 years old, pitch seven games in one day. Every pitch, so every we, inning. we got to keep, yeah, I mean, that's still overdone for sure, but we got to keep in mind, too, what time of year it is. Totally. Right. Good grief. It's... Yeah. Well, and, and I will say this, she was still pitching well in game seven. It doesn't make it okay. But it doesn't make it okay. Yeah, and and then... I think that... Uh, you know, but it, that might be another one of those situations where that's a team that has one kid who's really superior, that that clearly gives them a good opportunity to win. Because of that, you know, the motivation to continue to let her pitch, I think, is pretty strong. And yeah. unfortunately, I think that's where part of the problem is. So, so my first thought is, I think that you know that you have to always think about what's best for our team and what's best for our team. The same discussion is going to keep coming up every time we talk about something is what's good for our team for right now and what's good for our team for the long haul. Whatever level you're at, what's good for your your team, in my opinion, for the long haul is having pitching depth. That doesn't mean that your pitchers are all going to be equal, that they're all going to be all-American type pitchers, but I think that we have enough depth that it allows us the opportunity to have confidence in more than one pitcher right you know and now looking at the college game right now again we'll just kind of use this as a quick example you have uh, um, UCLA which is the number one team in the country as we speak who has one pitcher who's throwing a vast majority majority. of their innings and then you have Washington which has several pitchers kind of sharing the load you know this might end up being the test case as this season unfolds because they'll be playing each other in conference they'll hopefully uh, logically be seeing each other at the College World Series Post-season. to see yeah. you know, which is the, the right one. But I think it's a, it's a pretty good test case. Uh, but to my way of thinking, I think we want to start to really look at developing pitching depth no matter what type of team we're coaching. 
So if it's the lowest entry-level team where you've got young, very inexperienced players or the highest-level college program, I think we need to have more than one pitcher that we have faith in and one pitcher that we allow our team to have faith in if we expect to have long-term success. Well, I think you're totally right on all of those points, Tori. And the challenging thing is is to create that depth. We've got to create a promise to these kids that they're going to get time, you know, in the circle. Right. And a lot of times I feel like, uh, you know, kids either leave teams because they might not be considered number one or they just don't feel like they're getting enough work. Right. So we've got to make a strong case for creating, you know, enough tournaments or enough, you know, games in general so that these kids can all get enough work to feel like they're growing at, you know, a comfortable pace. Right. Well, and so when we think about developing that depth in your pitching staff, part of that, I think, falls on us as coaches to have a little bit bigger picture of what pitching depth might really look like. And I think that not likely that you're going to have two really dominant pitchers on the same travel ball team or the same high school team. Not at very many Um, levels. But if you have one pitcher who's clearly dominant and another pitcher who's not quite as good, um, maybe we need to start to look at the difference is that that player and those different uh, um, things that, that that second pitcher can do that present us with different kinds of options. You know, I've had the good fortune a couple of times now in my career to have a pitcher who was a really hard thrower, somebody who could really bring the cheese, yep. and then somebody who was not that same kind of pitcher, You know, maybe more of an off-speed, and... spin, good change-up kind of pitcher. And what we fell in love with, what I fell in love with, was the idea of using both of them in games even on days when the dominating pitcher was dominating, yeah. it was fun to see how we could go from somebody throwing, you know, really hard, blowing the ball by some hitters, to then, you know, the uh, amazing change of pace that it was to go to somebody that was throwing a little bit slower that had a really good changeup. No, I you can know. I can remember time story when uh, maybe it was when we played each other, but one time through the order with the hard thrower, and then approximately once you get through, you know, into that second time through the order. Bring in the the contrast, right? Right. Exactly the opposite of what the first one was. Yeah, and and depending upon your uh, philosophy, I think that that if you believe in that kind of an approach, if you sell that as a way that we're going to do things because it's going to give us the best opportunity to be successful, I think more and more people will buy into it. Right. And if that second pitcher starts to see her strengths as something that's going to really help the team versus something about her that makes her less than or not as good as or less valuable than Being that other pitcher, second, I think yeah. is part of the lesson that we need to take away from this. And I think that it's up to us as coaches um, to start to send that message, okay, your strengths are different than hers are. You know, and she's, here's how we can be the strongest. Right. Here, yeah. Here's what she does that's a strength for her. Here's what you do that's a strength for you. The two of you together make a devastating combination. Instead of you know, always going back to, you know, my philosophy is I want this kind of pitcher. The tough sell on that sometimes too, Tori, might be, uh, at least for for history, some of those pitchers want a game. This is my game, right? right. I, want, I want to beat this team. I want to shut this team down. And they're probably used to that being different, you know, leading up to that, you know, setting, whatever it is. So uh, that might be a tough sell in some some respects, but that definitely would uh, lighten the load and create a little bit more, uh, you know, a healthy outlook for for pitchers if they are sharing the time. Right, and when I think it just uh, helps everybody be more confident, so that when change is made, when change yeah. happens, it's less threatening. Flip side to it is, you know, the reason we talk about uh, you know that UCLA example this year is, 
you know, when Megan Faremo is pitching for them, they are clearly the best team in the country, or, or certainly a national championship contender. Caliber, um, right? But you know, what about a jammed finger? What about a sprained ankle? What about a bad case of the flu, or whatever it is, at exactly the wrong time? No, that's a very good point. Does that shut the team down at that point? Right. Do do we then go? Oh no! Oh, it's over. Oh, oh heck yeah! It's, we're it's done. A, we're done now because so and so is not there. The moral to the discussion today is for us as coaches to start thinking about how we can or what we can do and what we need to do to start to develop more of that depth and and creating a pitching staff versus a star pitcher. Uh, you don't want it to be uh, you know like the golfer and a caddy. We want it to be like two golfers that are out there together. So, and for some of the travel ball uh, scenarios, Tori, occasionally we're in situations where some of these younger teams are expected to win every day. Like they're, the, the pressure is because they're in a particular organization that uh, we're expected to win every day. And if I'm the coach of that team and I'm expected to win every day, well then I got to put my best out there. Right. So we need to, uh, you know, create expectations that are a little bit different than you know, the perceived notion that just because we're, we're this team that's going to make it to the end or, or have a championship run uh, potential as a group, that we need to, you know, create a little bit different environment in the process of getting there. Right. Well, yeah. I, I think a lot of that falls on us as coaches, too. And I think your, your point is a good one. You know, if, if I'm in a situation, and if you're, when you're a college coach, you're, they expect you to win every game every day uh, when you're coaching at a high school level and and there's a state playoff or a conference championship or a region championship or whatever it is at the end of the line people and you expect to try to win every game travel ball world when you're playing in a in a qualifier or something like that you know you got to win enough games to advance to that next level but i think it's uh it's up to us as coaches to start to see that there's a lot of different things that we can do and a lot of different tools that we can use to, uh, as far as different pitcher strengths to still give us an opportunity to win. If my attitude is, oh, woe is me, if, uh, you know, if Wendy doesn't pitch today, we have no chance of winning. And so every time there's a big game, you know, I run Wendy out there no matter what. Or if my attitude is, well, Wendy's good and Sally's good. Yeah. And Sally's different than Wendy, but we can still win with Sally. And we're going to show over the course of time that we have faith in Sally. Then I think both of them end up being better. And I urge those groups that organizational titles that they're supposed to win all the time to lessen that expectation, right? Just for for the health of everybody, right? And and again, I th- you know I think it's you know the 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 most important thing though is for for me as a coach, if I play this game and look at my team's strengths and figure out ways to play the game to play to their strengths. Then I think that's you know that that's what coaching is really supposed to be. Developing depth in your pitching staff is as much of an idea of you having faith in those kids and and setting them up to be successful versus you know every time the going gets tough. And and now I'm going to tell you, I didn't think all, this 25 years ago. We all fell into that mode, yeah. right? You know, I mean, talk about Bonnie Bynum, you know, Bonnie Graham a lot. Uh, because when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech, she was the ultimate workhorse. I mean, she had, and now the rules were a little bit different too. We played a lot more games back then, right? You know, because uh, the way they counted tournaments and and games and tournaments was a lot different. You know, it was not uncommon for us to play sixty five or seventy games in a in a college season. So normal, yeah. a, a lot more than they than they're playing currently. Um, you know, and she had years where she'd have three hundred and fifty plus innings. The typical conference weekend for us was a doubleheader on Saturday and a single game on Sunday. And Bonnie would pitch all of game one, 
she would close game two, and she would pitch game three. Start game three. Looking back at it now, I think the reason we were so dependent upon her was me, not her. Right. And if I had had uh, a little bit more common sense and a little bit more depth of knowledge and had worked a little bit harder to be a better coach, that we would have had more faith in our other pitchers, they would have had more faith in themselves, and we would have not always been looking for Bonnie to come in and save our bacon. For us, it was, and for me, and which yeah. then translated to our team, um, you know, if it was that second game on Saturday and somebody got on base, she'd have to start warming up. <laughs> right. You know, it might be five to nothing. You know, we might be winning five or six to nothing, and you know, they'd get one single, and I'd start panicking, and she'd start running down to the bullpen to get ready, even though that was know, the routine and it worked. Yeah, but yeah. It, but in hindsight, yeah, I think that what happened to all of my teams when Bonnie was our pitcher. That when we got to the end of the year, we were not as good as we needed to be or we could have been because you know she had nothing left in the tank. And that fell, you know, and that regret is something that I think about often because looking back at it, thinking that, well, if she had thrown 250 innings, maybe we would have made it to the super she regional. Was a little fresher. A little and... bit fresher, a little bit sharper. Maybe we would have had a total Cinderella story of making it to the College World Series because well, we came close with the, her dead tired and nothing left. That's the that's the joy of coach prep here, Tori, is that we get to share as a couple of older coaches some of the pitfalls right. and uh, things to be guarded of, right? Right. And so I got a little bit smarter as I got further into my career, and and you know, but some of it was necessity. You know, kind of uh, was the mother of invention. Um, you know, my last stop at Kennesaw State, we had. Um, I mean, one pitcher, Logan, who was a hard thrower, another pitcher, Morgan, who had really good control, really good spin. And I ended up uh, being able to look at them as complementary players that worked really well together and gave us you know, the best chance for success and sold them on the idea that they were both going to be important. And then that you know, went through the team as our attitude. You know, it was a shock to our players when either one of them got to pitch a complete game versus tag-teaming a game. And as a team, we're stronger because right. we have these things, right? Yeah. And would go from, you know, the first couple innings, we might get a whole bunch of strikeouts because Logan was throwing really hard and, you know, just throwing it by people. I don't want to say comic relief, but in some ways it kind of was looking at hitters just look stupid Getting when Morgan ground. would throw her back-breaking change-up and kids would basically, it, would, it could have been like the old uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon where the hitter would strike out on one pitch because it was so slow that you could swing three different times and not hit any of them. I got a little bit smarter, but I think uh, you know, what we're trying to do is, uh, is help our coaches you know, start to think about how much of this feeling like you have a pitcher is on you and your attitude and how you are working with those kids. You know, and, and Don, you mentioned it before that you know, to convince a player to come join your team, you know, sometimes you have to make some promises. If we're making those promises, I think it it should start from a place of, well, here's my philosophy, here's how we're going to do it, and here's how you being part of this pitching staff makes us better. Right. And here's here's the kind of role I anticipate you having because when you and -and so-and-so work together, we're going to be unbeatable. And then sticking with that as things you know continue to develop, so that both of those pitchers feel like they're contributing. And each of you are going to be fresher. Each of you are going to feel more prepared for whatever battle we're about to enter. And yeah, yeah, pitchers are going to be different. You know, parents are going to be different. You know, I think uh, one of the things that uh, you know I, I am seeing now that I think kind of adds to this dilemma is uh, pitchers who think that they are just as good in the sixth game as they were in the first game. Parents who believe that it's good for their kids to throw a lot, that somehow that that you know toughens them up or makes them stronger, 
And again, every player is going to be different. But you know, I also think that there's a limit, uh, a point of diminishing return, where um, no matter how much we want to believe that player still gives us the best opportunity to win, that they really don't anymore. No, I know. And it would, we're at some point probably going to uh, research a little bit more some guidelines that, that might help us without any conscious thought on a coach's part. It's just, here's what the guidelines are you right. know, from some of these very, very uh, accomplished and talented retired pitchers that have been through all of it and done it all. I think they could probably give us really good insight as to you know, what's too much and what's just right. And knowing that all kids are different. Right. And, and some are a little more fragile and at different stages in their in their development, able to do more or less than than another. There's, there needs to be some strategy to it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think, the, as I said before, it, it comes back to us. If I'm if I'm coaching a team, it's up to me to you know, create that philosophy that's going to protect a player from herself. Right. And, and again, I wish I would have been this smart 20 years ago. Because I think that you know we might have accomplished even more than we did if I had had a little bit different attitude. Sure. Um, you know we've talked about this a little bit in the past too, but we know now that underhand pitching is not as risk-free as we used to think it was. You know, for the longest time, you know, the argument was always you know that the underhand pitching motion is so natural that it doesn't do any damage. What we know now, and this has been proven in in a bunch of different studies, we've talked about it on the other podcast. There is proof that pitching back-to-back is damaging. The pitching back-to-back days is damaging. The pitching, you know, an unlimited number of pitches is damaging. Now, how fast it affects different kids is going to depend on each kid. You know, we have to get past the point of thinking, well, it's okay for Don to pitch 700 pitches because he can handle it. Right. Well, Don can handle it, but Don is still hurting himself when he does it. Right. Well, you know? here, here you had mentioned there was uh, a younger player, 11, 12 years old, whatever it was, um, that threw six or seven yeah, games. Six games and would have would have had so to pitch a seventh. My my question is, did that coach, and it might have been the coach's daughter, so he would know, but did that coach know what that player did leading into that weekend? Right. Did they pitch at home on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, or did they only pitch on Wednesday? And they were right. Did they know, have I'll, a lesson or two? I'll bet they don't even have any idea what the workload was leading up to that weekend. Right. Unless it is the coach's daughter. But yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you add in all the other things that a softball player is doing that could also be potentially taxing that throwing arm. They're warming up, so they're warming up every time that they pitch. They're warming up for practice. Are they playing another position when they're not pitching? You know, how much time do they spend fielding ground balls and throwing overhand to first base? Involved in CrossFit. So there's a lot of things that are variables that uh, you know I think we just need to start being more aware of. So coaches it's ask the, your kids what right. they're doing that week leading up to the weekend. Right. And as I said at the very beginning, this is definitely the pot calling the kettle black kind of a situation because I was as guilty of this once upon a time as, as anybody could possibly be. But I know now that it was not the best thing for our team success. And the reason that it was not the best team for our team success is that it kept us from fulfilling our true potential, I believe. No, I think that that's probably fair, Tori, for sure. And it's easy for all of us to fall into it. But again, if we can create a thought process where they're doing things better now, why yep. not? Why not? Right. right. And, and, and that's part of the whole idea behind Coach Prep is yeah. for us to share with you things yeah. that we think will make learned, you better. That we, we wish we, if I, if I only knew then what I know now. Right. You know, and that's an overriding theme to everything that we talk about on Coach Prep and everything fast pitch is 
I've said a thousand times now that I wish we would have been doing this stuff when I was still coaching at the college level because I would have been a lot smarter college coach. Exciting, for sure, yeah. So we want you to be a lot smarter coach, whatever level you're coaching at. Start to look at your pitching staff as a way to develop a true staff, find ways to make players feel like they're valuable and contributing, figure out ways that they can complement each other even though they might be drastically different, be open-minded enough to know that there's lots of ways to get hitters out and it doesn't have to just be throwing it by them. And again, or your number one's going to be even better right. having good talent around her. Right, and, and ask yeah. your defense, too, how much happier they would be if they had a three-pitch inning when their pitcher threw three strikes, got three ground balls in the infield, we got three outs, and we got back in the dugout. We're hitting again. Versus watching you know, Sally or Mary try to battle with every single hitter for a strikeout. So hopefully that gives you some things to think about. Let's start developing those pitching staffs. As always, you know, Coach Don and I are looking for your feedback and input. If there's things that you would love for us to talk about, we would love to do that. Um, please reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com, and we'll add your topic to our list of things to talk about. Please always check out FP at cleatedup.com. Again, that's the tool that you will use to solve all your communication challenges at the team level, at the organizational level, um, and it's a great tool, and it's free. Awesome. Don, anything else this week? No, just again, looking forward to another fun week of softball, Tori. Good deal. So for Coach Don McKinley and Stan Lewis, our good friend who helps us here in the studio, uh, thanks for listening to Coach Prep, episode number 24, and we'll talk to you again next week.